0: Hi, and welcome this day. So glad you have chosen to join us how do you let go of expectations we all have expectations and we know that sometimes our expectations can have us levitating and there are other times where our expectations just leave us absolutely disappointed and so how do we have expectations and when do we know when to let go of them because we need to be able to live to thrive to do well in this world. And so if we are to do so, how do we do that? And how is God connected in that? So today we're going to actually get into a story of a guy named Abraham. And Abraham has lots of expectations. He has lots of expectations on God. And he often tries to control others because of his expectations. And so we're going to get into a moment where he is talking with God, and God is talking back, and there's all kinds of push and pull. And what's interesting is that these expectations are keeping Abraham from experiencing God's blessings. And so that is the story we're going to look at today. And how do we deal How do we begin to think about those expectations we need to let go of so that we can experience more of God's blessings in our lives? Pray with me. God, we give thanks that today you are with us like you are each and every day. As we get into the words of scripture, may we be inspired in new ways. May we learn things. May we dedicate ourselves to different ways of living so that we might know your blessings in our lives. Amen. Starting in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 4. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Walk with me and be trustworthy. I will make a covenant between us and I will give you many, many descendants. Abram fell on his face and God said to him, but me, my covenant is with you. You will be my ancestor of many nations. So that moment, right? So we get Abram's 99 years old. And this is really an indication, right? We can experience the blessings of God no matter our age, what, no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are. We can also experience God's blessings in very unexpected ways, even when we've kind of gotten settled into a particular lane of our lives. I'll go, oh, wait a minute. God is always present. God's always changing something. And so here God shows up and says, I am El Shaddai. Now, what's interesting about that is it can be translated a couple of ways. One of the ways is that God, the one of the mountains, and then sometimes it's translated God almighty. But to think about that, God of one of the mountains, of the mountains, God of the mountains, of God, wait a minute. So that's a sense of magnificent. That is an all-encompassing, that's a wow, and yet at the same time, a little bit terrifying, just the magnitude of that. And so here, God is like, I am all-encompassing your life. And this is the blessing I'm coming with. But me, my covenant is with you. You will be my ancestor of many nations. Also give many descendants. Covenant means promise. And so here, God is making a promise to Abram. About how God will be present for all time and we kind of know this if you have children right parents often when it comes to the end of their lives that they worry about what will happen to their children how will? and God says you don't have to worry I am with them for all time the other thing is to think about how in the ancient world children were such a blessing not to say they aren't today but The uh, thinking of how children are a blessing and the more children you have, the greater blessing you have. And so here God is articulating to Abram just how blessed Abram will be and that this blessing of God's presence, of God's promise to be in relationship with him goes through generations. It has no time frame. So it's a sense of how God is with us even today. So something to kind of think about. Okay, if this is what we're building to, what then are those expectations? How do we understand expectations in this sense? Because there's the healthy side of the expectation. God's going, I'm with you for all time, and I will bless you. All right, so there is that set of expectations, but we're about to get into where Abram is going to struggle with those putting expectations upon God that really aren't great. So continuing on in verses 5 through 8. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. I will make you very fertile. I will produce nations from you and kings will come from you. I will set up my covenant with you and your descendants after you in every generation as an enduring covenant. I will be your God and your descendants God after you. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are the immigrants, the whole land of Canaan as an enduring possession, and I will be their God. So again, just living into this, like fleshing out. Okay, so what does this promise mean? What does this promise begin to look like? And at the very basis, it begins to change Abraham's identity. He moves from Abram to Abraham. And so, think about that of how being in relationship with God is supposed to transform us. It's supposed to transform our identity. It's supposed to transform our responses, the way that we move through life, the way that we understand ourselves, the way that we understand others. And so, here we begin with that transformation and then. Into, I will produce many nations from you and kings will come from you. I will set up my covenant with you and your descendants after you and every generation. As an enduring covenant, I will be your God and your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are immigrants. So here's something that's happening. Part of God's blessing, part of God's promise here is God is committing to love. God is like, you know what? I'm going to love you for all time. God is also giving purpose to Abraham and all those after. God is also making a place, Canaan, right? A place, a sense of belonging. So part of God's promise, part of God's blessings to us, Our love, which we read about in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so that sense, right, of going, wait a minute, even when I don't feel loved, I am loved. Even when I don't feel like others love me, I am loved. That moment of challenge, when we we feel like love is not surrounding us at all, God always still loves. And so a direct challenge to those moments where maybe we go, well, there's, People aren't loving each other in this world. I haven't seen any love. God's love is still present. God's love is still accessible. God does not take God's love away. And then the next thing of purpose, of thinking about God's purpose. All right, so what is our purpose to be? What is our purpose to live, right? What are we living? And God's purpose for us is to love, is to have peace, is to live out joy, is to live into gratitude. And so to begin to think about that, that when we feel like, I don't know what my purpose is, what's the meaning of my life? I don't know, am I contributing, am I not? How is this all going? And to recognize that at the very foundation, God is giving us the purpose to love, to live peace, to live peacefully with others, to live peacefully with ourselves, to live joy, to live that joyful, right? Nobody can rob us of our joy. We can give it away. We can dismiss it, but nobody can rob us of joy. And so to think about that, of how are we living out joy? And then how are we living out gratitude? How are we filled with gratitude? How are we living it out? Even when things are chaotic, even when things are not what we want, of going, wait a minute, if that's to be, to be the foundation of my very life, how am I living each and every one of those things? And then the sense of belonging. What does it mean to belong to God, because so often we associate belonging with fitting into a particular group of people. But to belong to God, for God to say, nope, you do belong, is all about, is all about looking at how belonging is that no matter where we are in our life, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter the chaos of what's going on, that we belong to God. And that we are to live that out every moment of our lives. And so even when we are in a place where we don't think we belong, when we're with a group of people where we don't think we belong, God's like, nope, you belong. And so to recognize how God is moving through those promises with Abraham and with us. Continuing on in verses 9 through 14, God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants in every generation. This is my covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Circumcise every male. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it will be a symbol of the covenant between us. On the eighth day after birth, every male and every generation must be circumcised, including those who are not your own children, those born in your household, and those purchased with silver from foreigners. Be sure you circumcise these born in your household and those purchased with your silver. Your flesh will embody my covenant as an enduring covenant. Any uncircumcised male whose flesh of his foreskin remains uncircumcised will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. All right. So thinking about circumcision may have us going, oh, but we need to really think of this as a symbol, as a symbol of something else that's happening here. A symbol, it's a physical symbol of God's promise. So an outward symbol of God's promise that's working in us, through us, and is impacting everyone around us. And so here, to think about circumcision, It was a practice, it wasn't unheard of, especially for Western Semites or Egyptians. They would practice it for uh, ritual, for initiation, uh, but also for hygiene purposes. Now, like the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they didn't practice circumcision, but to see it as, okay, so they understand that there is this type of practice that happens and it is a sign. It is a sign and symbol of how they are going to live. And we get further on in the biblical text, and we find like Moses and Jesus going, okay, you guys may have taken the outward sign. You guys may have been circumcised at birth, but your hearts haven't been circumcised. You haven't been transformed. And to think about it like that, of how does that promise, that covenant, begin to transform our inner lives so that we are outwardly living in different ways. We are outwardly living, right? We've got that love inside of us, we've got that peace, we've got that gratitude, we've got that joy, we've got that sense of purpose, of belonging. And so with that relationship with God, How does that transform how we deal with ourselves internally, but also how are we showing it externally? What is the symbol, right? What what are we outwardly showing? And that can be kind of complicated, right? Especially when we start getting into particular situations and where maybe we have expectations on others that really are kind of inappropriate. Really, the expectations are on God, of God living into that promise of love, which God does, and that expectation of, well, no, if God is in me and working through me, my life can be changed. It's just a matter of, okay, what's the next step? How do I do it? Where do I look? How do I pay attention? Where am I guided? How will I show love when? How will I be at peace even when things are chaotic? Even when things are kind of swirling around. We talked quite a bit last week about that, of that chaos of recognizing God's blessings, even in the chaos of life. Continuing on in verses 15 through 18, God said to Abraham, As for your wife, Sarai, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will now be Sarah." I will bless her and even give you a son from her. I will bless her so that she will become nations and kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He said to himself, can a hundred year old man become a father or or Sarah, a 90 year old woman, have a child? To God, Abraham said, if only you would accept Ishmael. All right. We got to take a breath right here, right? We get the whole name change for Sarah, that this promise is also with Sarah. Now, there's not an outward sign here uh, that is put on all the males, but instead it will be in the way she lives and the way she identifies. She is also circumcision of the heart, we can think of. And here she will live into brand new possibilities. And it says, right, she's 90 years old and she's going to have a child. And and Abraham's like, he's falling over, dying, laughing. He's like, that is impossible. And that's that moment of recognizing how God's blessings, how God's presence with us can bring about things that we thought were impossible, that can bring us into new insights. And some have taken that laughter because at some point Sarah's gonna laugh as well, which Isaac's name means laughter. And so some have critiqued that and said, and looked down and, and are judgmental on Abraham and Sarah laughing. But think about that for a second. When we get news that we don't understand, sometimes we laugh. Sometimes when we get hard news, we laugh because otherwise we would absolutely cry. And often we can find moments where our laughter goes into joy or thanksgiving. And in this case, it is going to move into that. Not quite yet, but that laughter will become joy and thanksgiving and something that was thought impossible. So to recognize how God's blessings, sometimes we can't even believe it, we're like, wait, what? That's amazing, which goes back to the whole El Shaddai of God of the mountains, of something magnificent, something wonderful that is hard to comprehend even when we see it, even when we experience it. It's that moment of going, huh? But Abraham takes it a little bit further, right? So he laughs and God's like, no, mm -mm." but Abraham crosses a bit of a line and we see something important here, which we often try to do when it says, Abraham said, if only you would accept Ishmael. So here's the deal with Ishmael. God had already told Abraham that he would be blessed, that there was a promise, that there was a covenant. And Abraham was waiting. Abraham was waiting around, and Abraham decided to take matter into his own hands. He thought he could fix it. He was like, you know what, I don't think God's doing anything, so I'm just going to go and take care of this. Abraham is trying to control the situation. Abraham is trying to control God. And in that moment, as Abraham is trying to control the situation, a solution presents itself, so he thinks, in having, taking Hagar as a wife and having Ishmael. And so Ishmael is born. And so here, talking about Ishmael is bringing up this whole thing of, well, hey, you know what, why, why not just accept Ishmael? I've taken care of it for you, God. Think about that. Abraham's like, no, 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 I've already got this. I don't need you, God. God's like, now wait a minute. Hold up. <laughs> Hold up just a second. But that question of how do we try to control God? how do we try to control the situation? We know that sometimes we try to control others and that we can get kind of messy in all of that, right? We know that that really doesn't usually work out very well because the only things that we can control are ourselves and the ways that we react to situations, in the ways that we perceive in situations. And so to recognize here just how much Abraham has gone down this rabbit hole of not only is Abraham trying to control others, but he's also trying to control how the blessings of God will work for him. There's this great quote, and I used this quote earlier if you watched the short video this past week, and the quote comes from Marcus Aurelius, and I kind of focused on the first sentence, but I think it... The first sentence is important, but the rest of it also, especially for us today. So the quote is, you always own the option of having no opinion. There is never any need to get worked up or to trouble your soul about things you can't control. These things are not asking to be judged by you. Leave them alone. All right, so like I said, I focused really in that short video on the first part of that a little bit more than the last part, but I want us to think about that last part in what Abraham is doing. There is never any need to get worked up or to trouble your soul about things you can't control. These things are not asking to be judged by you. Leave them alone. Abraham is getting worked up about how God is going to fulfill this promise, about how this promise works in Abraham's life. And so he is all about right now trying to take that control. He is trying to control God and for ourselves. How often do we try to control those blessings? How do we try to control the presence of God? How do we try to place God, when we place God in a box and say, well, God can only act this way or God can only be like that, we are putting God in that box. When we make statements like, nobody loves me, we put God in a box because we've moved God aside. When we go, I have no purpose, I don't know the meaning, Again, we have put God, sealed God in that box and have moved aside. When we go, I don't belong, I don't belong with anybody, I haven't found where I belong. We have sealed God up in that box and moved God aside. And Abraham is struggling. Abraham is struggling with that. And so we're about to get God's response to it continuing on in verses 19 through 22. But God said, no, your wife Sarah will give birth to a son for you and you will name him Isaac. I will set up my covenant with him and with his descendants after him as an enduring covenant. As for Ishmael, I've heard your request. I will bless him and make him fertile and give him many, many descendants. He will be the ancestor of 12 tribal leaders and I will make a great nation of him. But I will set up my covenant with Isaac, who will be born to Sarah at this time next year. When God finished speaking to him, God ascended, leaving Abraham alone. So God responds. God's like, no, Abraham, I'm not letting you control the situation. You just need to leave it well enough alone. But he does give something important to Abraham here about Ishmael. Ishmael is also blessed. Ishmael has his own love, his own sense of belonging to God, his own purpose with God, and that that blessing will be continuous for him as well. That there is absolutely a relationship between God and Ishmael. And we see it as you go through the story when when any of us read about how Sarah gets jealous of Hagar and Ishmael and has Abraham throw them out. They are saved by God. And to recognize here that what is getting set up for Ishmael is just different. It doesn't mean that one is better than the other. I know that sometimes when this gets read and placed in today's context, we think about how there is division and how we have to be divided about things. But this is not a verse about winners and losers. Instead, God is actually talking about What we already know, we are all different. And so our relationship with God, how God is present in our lives, looks different for each and every one of us. And that God absolutely loves all of us, blesses all of us, has purpose for all of us, and has us belonging. It just happens to look a little bit different. And if we were to read even further, we would note that Isaac and Ishmael never have an issue with each other. In fact, they come together for Abraham's burial. There is not an issue. And if we were to think about, you know, sibling rivalry, that absolutely exists in the story of Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau, where they like threatened to kill each other. It's important to note. That God is with Ishmael and with Ishmael's descendants generation upon generation. It's its own promise. It's its own covenant because we are all different. How God is working in our lives is absolutely different. And to notice how God loves each and every one of us. How God calls all of us to a, a place of belonging. How God calls us all to purpose with that foundation of love peace, joy, and gratitude. And so here we are challenged in our expectations What are the appropriate expectations? But what are those expectations we have upon God, we have upon others, that we absolutely need to let go of because they are toxic. They are robbing us of joy. They are robbing us of peace. They are robbing us of the ability to feel and to know, to know and to experience that we belong, that we have purpose, and that we are loved. Because we may feel like we are cut off. Right? Back a few passages ago, he has broken my covenant. Right? They're, they'll feel like they are cut off if you're not circumcised. And so, if we're thinking circumcision of the heart, when we don't live in, when we go, I'm not loved, when we don't think we have purpose, we don't feel like we belong. We are questioning how we are part of God's promise. And you know what? It's hard to be in community. It's hard to feel love. It's hard to live peacefully and joyfully when we are removed in that way from one another, even from ourselves. And so to recognize here that no matter if we are struggling, no matter if we feel separated and apart, that God keeps calling to us, and keeps reminding us of this promise of love, this promise of relationship, this promise of blessings. And so how will we be challenged in the way we live, in the way that we make love the foundation, in the way that we make our purpose living love, living peace, living joy, living gratitude? How will we live in that belonging that God is always present no matter where we find ourselves. Amen. <laughs>